This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Want to give everybody a heads up. This podcast had a little challenge when it comes to uh, audio. Of course, when we are interviewing our guests, sometimes uh, remote locations, and the equipment is not the best. So do bear with it. I didn't want to just scratch this this podcast because our guest, uh, Cal, gave us some really good information. But I do just want to apologize ahead of time. Yo, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson. Another week of talking smallmouth here on the podcast. We've had some amazing guests, and tonight's guest is no different. We're going to be talking big smallmouth. A Canadian, another Canadian joins us. Them Canadians, they know how to catch fish, that's for sure. But before we get into that, let's talk about the Real Shot. So the Real Shot's a tackle store in northeast Wisconsin, and it's quickly become the go-to shop for bass anglers across the country. Top brands like Mega Bass, Jackal, Evergreen, Z-Man, Daiwa, Shimano, Dirty Jigs, Omega Custom, Kitek, St. Croix Rods, and much, much more. The Real Shots easy-to-shop website makes selecting the product super, super easy with same-day shipping. So if you got a tournament coming up or just a big bass adventure somewhere, you'll be able to get those uh, baits in your tackle box before you know it. So head on over to the real shot and use my promo code smallmouthcrush15 at time of checkout, and they're going to give you 15% off your order. Pretty cool deal. Let's bring our next guest on, this week's guest. Kale, there you are, just like that. How you doing? I'm, doing? I'm good. How about you? Oh, man. Well, I can't complain. You know what I mean? We're talking smallmouth. I know you know how to put some big smallmouth in the boat, and I really want to get inside your head. You know, what what makes you so being a, a smallmouth angler? But before we get into that, let's talk a little about your background. I know you're in Canada right now, but if you could walk the uh, listeners through a little bit about your experience when it comes to fishing and, and uh, uh, you know, kind of what's your goals here for this season as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess I, I started young, like uh, – I think a lot of guys, a lot of the Canadians up here, my dad's fished for 40 years. He's fished tournaments up here. Um, he had a pond in my backyard growing up, which was nice. I had some largemouth in it. So, I, you know, I was fishing at every opportunity I could when I was little. And and uh, it, it spurred into uh, a love of tournament fishing, just like, like my daddy's still fishing them. And, and uh, you know, 25 years later, I'm 30 now. Here I am, still fishing, loving it. Every time I get out, look forward to every time I get out. Tournament fishing is just something I live for. It, it, I guess it's in my blood, yeah. Being up in Canada, obviously it's cold up there quite a bit. And the opportunities to fish open water for smallmouth is very narrow. You know, years ago in the past, I had such a small uh, season, you know, depending on the body of water and, and where you're at. Uh, new new regulations for 2021. Now we can, uh, I, I think you can get out there a little bit sooner. Um, are, are you aware of those? Are, are you excited about that? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a zone 20. So it's Lake Ontario and the St. Lawrence River. It has a early catch and release season now, which is really awesome to see. Um, basically, I think it starts January 1st, but pretty well everything's iced up. So they're not going to get much pressure in terms of that. But uh, it goes all the way to May 10th. So you can get out there and, and experience some pre-spawn action, which is which is unique for up here. We've never had that opportunity before. Um, the only way Canadians will be able to do that is, is you know, some of us go drive down to Wisconsin and fish the Sturgeon Bay open. Um, but other than that, so this is like a, a first time. It's, it's really exciting. A lot of people up here are talking about it. It's going to be fun to get out there and, and experience, you know, that's it. My, my opinion is the best time of the year to, uh, to fish for, for any species, you know, they all come shallow. A lot of them, uh, you know, they spawn, they're getting ready to spawn and it's the best time of the year to fish, especially your best chance at catching like a true giant, like a seven plusser. Sure. Without a doubt. We know that region, that part of the country has some, some giant smallmouth. So I'm excited for the Canadians that get to take advantage of that. Uh, for us Americans, we're still, we still have two counties that border uh, the St. Lawrence river and Lake Ontario that have not changed. So we're not allowed to even even target those bass yet but um yeah man i'm excited i'm excited for the canadians to be be able to experience that uh that's got to be exciting so how soon do you think you'll be able to get out there um depends on the winter some winters we we don't have like uh, lake ontario and the st lawrence will be iced up right in through you know close to the end of april so it's really going to only really leave you know two three weeks maybe of fishing and and even when the ice first gets out it's there i think it'd be pretty tough fishing the water being so cold right but uh you know i think the the first 10 days of may would be definitely the best time to get out there you know the water's starting to warm up by then just creeping up a bit the fish are going to start to be moving they're going to be heading in and uh they're they're pretty easy to find that time of year you just kind of follow where they winter and look look on a map and see where there's a spawning flat or a big spawning bay and and they're on the highway between there at that time of year so it, and they're really grouped up you know it can be quite a like sturgeon bay perfect example we my dad and i have gone down there five years now it, it's like the best fishing we've ever experienced you know it's mm-hmm. it can be incredible yeah, I, I grew up in, in that part of the country and, and Sturgeon Bay, the Bay of Green Bay is is an amazing fishery. What part of the country do you actually call home now? I'm like right central Ontario. I live in Cavan now, Cavan, Ontario. So I'm like, uh, I'm about 10 minutes from Rice Lake and it's uh, the Tri Lakes, which is kind of in the Corthas. But I'm uh, two hours now to Lake Ontario. I'm an hour to Lake Simcoe. I grew up 20 minutes south of Lake Simcoe. So that's where I kind of cut my teeth and wow. and. Uh, started smallmouth fishing was definitely on lake simcoe which which is a i think a famous fishery it's people in the states a lot of people have heard of it it's a yes. ton of big smallmouth i've heard of it i'm super excited now because I, I i know you're i know you're a good stick on on the great lakes and the saint lawrence river lake ontario but if you don't mind i'd like to dig a little bit in the in the lake simcoe because that's a that's on my bucket list you know it's not that far of a drive you know i mean relatively speaking it's it should be a, a it should be a lake everyone needs to experience you know we hear so many stories about it but can you give us a little background on the lake itself and and, and how it's fishing you know currently uh yeah like so 20 20 years ago or so is when the smallmouth really 
started to, you know, uptick up back then, largemouth one, one out there, um, you know, a tournament would be on out of Barrie or Aurelia, which are, you know, two of the bigger, bigger towns or cities on the lake. And everyone would run to the south end of the lake, the marshy areas and, and flip for largemouth. And, you know, zebra mussels got introduced in the lake inadvertently, cleared up the water quite a bit. And, uh, and then the gobies got also inadvertently released in there. And all of a sudden we had this, this magic recipe for smallmouth. And they, they went from being, you know, an average size of two and a half, three pounds to not really, you know, they weren't really competing with the largemouth size to four pounds. And then they started to get five. And now, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, sixes and sevens. And you even hear the odd eight pound smallmouth caught there every year. It's, so it's, it's really changed the dynamic of the lake. And, and it's, and, and it's also had to change, you know, the, the tournament tactics when you fish there, you know, basically it's a all smallmouth deal now when you have a tournament out there the lake itself is is that part of the new rules can you fish that early season or is that still closed it's still closed unfortunately it's yeah, a, a few guys i've already talked to are crossing their fingers maybe you know if uh the people that make the decisions are paying attention to how the new rules turn out on lake ontario and the st lawrence I think people are hopeful maybe we can get an early season on, on something like Lake Simcoe too. It would be pretty special, you know, to go out there and fish for them at the start of May. So typically um, across most of Ontario, so uh, the Corthas, which is where I live, and east, it was open the third Saturday in June. And actually Lake Simcoe and west down to Lake Erie and Lake St. Clair was the fourth Saturday in June. It's when bass opened. So now the St. Lawrence and uh, Lake Ontario has that early season but they've actually moved the cat, like the regular season back two weeks to start. So uh, it's the first Saturday in July now for the St. Lawrence and Lake Ontario. So wow. give them a little bit, a little bit more of a window to, you know, protect the spawn, which is what they're kind of going for there. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it kind of, the season overlapped with the majority of the spawn. So they kind of wanted to, to nudge it back a bit, but also, you know, not lose any fishing opportunity. So they opened up that early season. So maybe that's something we'll see, you know, down the in the future, maybe on our side of Lake Erie and uh, also Lake Simcoe. Had a free weekend to go out fishing. Where would yeah. you be heading to? Definitely Lake Simcoe. Like when I when I first got a boat, um, being I was still living at, at my uh, mom and dad's at the time. So I was 20 minutes away, you know, every chance I get, hook the boat up and uh, driving north to Lake Simcoe. And that's where I definitely started to learn all the smallmouth tactics and and uh spent majority of my time out there learning learning them well before i went anywhere else like lake ontario or lake erie or sturgeon bay i i spent countless days out on lake simcoe you know what do you think your your strengths when it comes to smallmouth fishing is if if it's a technique or maybe uh locating fish what would you say that that answer would be definitely sight fishing and that's it's all related to growing up on Lake Simcoe. The, it's a very, uh, the fish stay shallow there majority of the summer, you know, and I'm 10 feet, maybe 12 feet or less. And you can see down that far. So it's typically a sight fishing deal all the way to, you know, mid August out there. So that's, you know, where I was spending a lot of my time. So that's kind of, I guess it goes hand in hand. You start uh, doing what, what the fish are doing and it turns into a strength. That's exciting way to fish. You get to see that fish before he bites. And there's so many opportunities. I think a lot of anglers 
miss that because you know a lot of times these these big waters where these smallmouth live they're so vast you know and you know your experience on say Simcoe when they're when they are up shallow are you looking for uh, one or two fish every you know couple hundred yards or are you running into areas where there's a massive school of these fish up shallow what do you normally uh, look for when it comes to you know those types of conditions and, and what do you find up there uh, typically Simcoe's uh, it it's it's a great fishery in terms of you know the size and you see the weights the tournament results but there's not a ton of fish out there so it's pretty rare to pull up to a spot and see 50 fish on a spot um, typically, you know, a real good day, you might see that and that I'm talking one day of the summer, typically you get, you pull up to a spot and there's maybe 10 or 15 in a general area and they're all sitting on sweet spots. You'll see two or three, you know, sitting on a boulder and then, you know, another little gravel patch, there might be one or two, but it's all generally in an area, say within a, you know, a hundred yards, you're going to fish this spot in, in about 20 or 30 minutes. And if there's fish on it, you'll see about 12 or 15. The hardest parts definitely get them to bite because you see way more than you catch. You do. Okay. So that's oh, yeah. typical there. They get a little bit more pressure perhaps than somebody's the water. Shallow water sight fishing. Some days it seems like those fish have never seen a bait. You know, you can drop to them right below the trolling motor and they don't, they don't flinch. And there's some days where, you know, you're in a tournament, you see a six pounder and you cannot get him to bite. That's right. It's frustrating. It's, it's, it's fun at the same time. Exciting. What would you say, uh, you know, when you, when you can't get those fish to bite, do you get discouraged? Is there, is there some, some tips that you can give the listeners to, as far as being able to catch those fish on a, a more of a consistent basis when, when you have that situation happen? I'd say the best thing to do is be able to read the fish. So that's what I've, you know, from experience out there, you can tell by the fish's body language if it's going to bite. So a lot of times they don't bite on the first cast or the fifth cast. But if they're not spooking and swim and, and you know, darting away from the boat and they're hanging around and you see even sometimes you see them swim over and, you know, suck a crayfish off out of out from on a rock. You know, that fish is probably going to bite. Uh, so it's definitely reading the fish and just getting that perfect pitch uh, out to the in, in front of the fish. And they just, you know all of a sudden they swim over you can throw the same bait 10 times and he just swims over and sucks sucks up a tube or you know a, a little drop shot or anything like that a little swim bait and uh i wish i had an answer for why they bit on the 10th cast or the 12th mm -hmm. cast i don't know but i do know a fish that's going to bite and uh probably nine times out of ten i can tell if it's going to bite just by how it's behaving in the water Sure. So you'll stick with that fish if you know you can probably right. catch them. Yeah. Yeah. I probably chased a fish slowly swimming, you know, it would go right, it would go left, but I could still see it the whole time. So I just, you know, kept on the trolling motor, but not, you know, you don't want your trolling motor on 80 or 90. You're going to spook them. Mm -hmm. And it was a relatively calm day and the sun was up. It was probably noon or one o'clock. So all the conditions were right. And, you know, I chased it around for probably eight, close to 10 minutes. And yeah, I just had that perfect cast. It's like where you cast out to the left and he's going right. And then all of a sudden he turns left sure. and just swims on by and, and takes and he'll eat the bait. Like it was just something that was, you know, he's swimming by and it's six inches from his face. So he might as well eat it. Well, how deep were you in, in that situation? Um, Typically like summertime, it, it, probably eight feet. Okay. Like that. Yeah. Eight, 10 and, feet. 
And so I assume that lake is how far can you normally see down with good conditions? In the summertime, like 13, 14 feet typically. Okay. It, sure. it, you get a bit of algae and you, it goes to about that. Um, in the fall time, you can see 30 feet down. Mm-hmm. Once once all the algae you know uh, starts to die off when you get the cold nights, but typically like when you're fishing sight fishing in July, you you can see 13, 14 feet. Okay, people that that attempt to sight fish, the perfect conditions uh, at least I feel are are going to be real high sun, very little clouds. I I don't like a lot of wind. I don't even like. I'd rather have more of a consistent wave action than even a ripple at times when I'm, when I'm sight fishing. Yeah. What do you do in those situations where it's not ideal? Are you still committed to that pattern? Are you going to stick with a shallow bite, even though maybe there's some cloud cover and it's making it a little bit difficult or you are uh, you doing something different? Yeah. You'd, you'd definitely switch it up a little bit, maybe throw a bit more reaction baits, uh, especially until you see one. That's probably what I would do, mm. you know, throw a spinner bait, a spy bait, um, a jerk bait. A lot of times the fish will chase them to the boat and you'll still see them under poor light conditions, you know, overcast or something like that. And sometimes too, they'll, they'll just hammer them, you know, you the right, you know, the right wind blowing in on a little, uh, shoal and there's 15 or 20 of them sitting there and, and you throw, it doesn't matter what you throw out. You throw a crank bait, a spinner bait, they're going to eat, rip the rod out of your hands. So mm-hmm. hopefully if we do encounter one of those days, it's, it's one like that where it sure. doesn't really matter, but you definitely can't sight fish as easy. Um, it makes it tougher out there. You, you can see too, if you go look up Simcoe tournament results or say you're following one, you know, this summer, there might be one or two tournaments out there and you'll see the weights will be a little lower and you'll look and it'll be a bad weather day, like raining and, and cloudy. Oh, wow. And then you'll see like, you know, uh, a 26 or 27 pound bag. And, uh, and it was a beautiful, calm day. What two rods are you going to be having probably on your deck of the boat and in your hand when you're encountering those situations? And and as far as the baits that you're throwing overcast, I'd probably have a spinner bait and, uh, and then a spy bait seems to be, seems to be a pretty good bait to be chucking around these days. A lot of people are catching big fish on them. So something like two, two baits like that. And I got a follow-up bait ready. So a drop shot or a tube or a little swim bait. I'll have all three of those on my deck and you know, some days they want a drop shot and uh, some days they want a tube or something, you know, so mm-hmm. it, you got to have them all there ready to go because if a fish, you know, thumbs its nose up after five or six casts or at a bait, it doesn't show any interest at all. I'll, I'll switch to another bait and throw it at, throw that at it and see if I can get any kind of, you know, get them to swim over and look at it at least, or, you know, something to, you know, pick its interest right, and see right. if I can get them to come out and bite. Uh, can you describe the spinnerbait? Is there a particular brand that you like to throw or do you, do you have a rotation of spinnerbaits that you gravitate to, or is there like in your mind, there's one spinnerbait you need to throw it in, in those conditions? Um, I, I throw multiple different ones, generally just blade variations. So double willow, um, a willow Colorado. And, and I even like, uh, Colorado, Indiana spinner baits, which a lot of people think are kind of muddy water baits, but I throw them in gin clear water and I, I've had a lot of fish bite those in the past. Mm. Uh, so I just, I guess it's just a confidence thing, I, but I do throw typically just blade variations. Uh, almost all, all of them are natural bait, bait fish colors. So like white or, uh, 
you know, a white chartreuse or something like that. Just a mm-hmm. good smallmouth color. Right. So when you see a fish and you're targeting him and, you, and, you know, let's say he's coming up, he, he's not committed to the spinner bait, but he's hanging out by the boat. You said you have a rotation of baits. You got your tube, you got a, a small swim bait, I assume, and then you have a drop shot. Which yeah. rod are you going to pick up first? Drop shot, for sure. Drop shot. Yeah. And can you walk us through your drop shot setup when it comes to those shallow water sight fish? Are you are you are you using a longer leader, a, a shorter lead, uh, typical size weight? Uh, I I want to really get into that because you know when it comes to shallow water fishing, you have to have your equipment dialed in. I believe, okay. and I'm really interested in what your go to setup is when it comes to a drop shot shallow. First things first, the leader size typically in the summer just 12 inches. That's about it. Weight, I probably, I'm going as light as I can get away with. So okay. three sixteenths, maybe even uh, a quarter ounce to most, probably mo- generally a quarter ounce. I don't like going as heavy, you know, putting a big mallet on there and, and throwing it. I like to be as stealth as possible. So, okay. um, and I also find it, it gives your, gives your bait a little bit more of a natural action. You get a, you know, put a big half ounce weight and you're pitching it around in six feet of water. To me, it just doesn't make sense. The the weight doesn't match your line and doesn't match the bait you're throwing. Um, it doesn't. It's not the. It doesn't. It just doesn't seem to work properly for me. So, sure. I want to get the bait in the water as as stealth as possible and have it presented properly. You know, for the fish to see it and come come over and not think it's you know you don't want to spook it with a big splash or something like that too. So, now as yeah. far as um throwing a tube are you uh are you a fan of the smaller type tubes the two and a half inches or are you throwing the three and a half four inch tubes what's what's your go-to tube when it comes to those situations last few years have definitely been the smaller tube uh it seems to be popular getting popular now last summer i was throwing you know mostly 2.8 inches sometimes i'll throw that little tiny two and a half like the, the really skinny one too typically 2.8 inch tube so the shallow water fish it, it sounds like you know simcoe sets up perfect for that style that's that's a style you love it's one of your favorite techniques when you go to a new body of water let's say sturgeon bay or lake ontario you have an event coming up is that a pattern you're you're looking for more often than not then yeah but you can't you know to be to be successful in tournaments you can't force anything um so every fishery is a little different St. Lawrence and Lake Ontario is definitely included in that. So the, the, the food that the fish are eating seem to behave a little differently. They're more of a, I think the studies have shown out there, they're, they're like eating 90 something percent gobies or 88% gobies. If I'm remembering, I, I read this a couple of years ago, so it might be wrong, but it's majority gobies and the gobies seem to go out a little deeper uh, in the summer, especially if it's a warmer summer. So you can't, the the fish on Simcoe are eating, I'd say majority, definitely you can tell when you catch them and put them in your live well, it's in July, it's all crayfish. The dynamic of w- what they're setting up on and what they're feeding on is a little different, but I do, if I can do it, I would, that, that'd be definitely the first thing I'm doing is going, going sight fishing on Lake Ontario or Lake Erie or Sturgeon Bay. Uh, I've never been, been to Sturgeon Bay late enough in the season where you can do that. It's typically really cold still. And the, and the uh, the fish, you, it, they're hard to see because they're paler because they've just pulled up from their wintering holes, and um, and they're spookier. I find when you're when you're down there in the spring fishing that fishing that tournament. 
but um if i was ever there in june or july i'm sure you could do a lot of sight fishing down there sure i was going to ask you on simcoe what is uh i mean are they just dark black do they stick out real well that time of year yeah Yeah, you can see them really really easily yeah if you get up on a shoal or you know a, a flat with some sand and weed or you can see the fish there's no mistake you can see them sometimes you know 30, 40 yards from the boat. Those shallow water fish, what are you ideally targeting when when you are going up shallow? Is there a particular type of structure you look for? I mean, let's say you're going to a whole new body of water that's that's clear water. What are you trying to focus on first? Is it grass edges, sand, rock chunks, boulders, flats? Uh, a new body of water, I'd be picking the biggest spawning flats I can find, especially if it's early summer, and just go start start fishing around on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just fish whatever structure you encounter. I find the fish over here, like on Lake Ontario, Simcoe, doesn't matter really the body of water. If it's structure, they're on it. So if it's a clump of weed, there's there's a fish sitting on it. If it's you know a gravel patch and a sand spot and you know some rubble rock, there's mm-hmm. fish on it. They don't seem to be very picky. Just as long as it's something they can set up on and and just hang out and ambush anything that swims by to to eat i think it it doesn't really matter at least for the fisheries up here it's definitely the case i i've caught them on weed edges i've caught them on boulders i've caught them on sand spots all in july it doesn't seem to really matter some days there's more on one thing and then the other it's i think it's just a a daily uh movement pattern from the fish you know sometimes there's 20 or 30 of them up on a weed edge and sometimes you know there's a whole bunch of them sitting on a pile of rocks um, it just seems to change by the day you got fish at all. Every lake is different when it comes to, you know, some of the techniques that work better on that particular body of water. Uh, one of my favorite techniques is, is fishing shallow with a topwater bait, whether it be a pop bar or a walking bait. Uh, and I'm just curious on Simcoe, do those fish look up? Is that a bait that works uh, when they get up shallow? I haven't had any success with a topwater out there. I've had a few, you know, I've thrown it a little bit and, They'll come up and take a look at it, but they're hard to get them to commit to it. It's not consistent. I, I found that to be true, especially you can take some state, uh, some lakes in upstate New York. You know, one lake might be an amazing topwater lake and yeah. a similar lake that's got smallmouth and clear water. Those fish just they're not interested at all. And you cannot get a get a good topwater bite. So I think every lake is just different. And I was just curious on Simcoe. Uh, is there a good bite deep at all on Simcoe that, that happens as well? Yeah, in the fall, like uh, in October, once the turnover happens, mm-hmm. you know, get, you get them out in 30, 40 feet. And uh, guys weigh big bags, uh, you know, over 30 pounds for five typically wins tournaments if the conditions are right. Mm-hmm. You know, bad conditions, maybe 27 pounds, but definitely they get grouped up and they get out deep on, on like the tips of shoals and and uh, long points sticking out into the lake and stuff like that. I want to ask what's your favorite way to catch them, but I'm assuming, you know, that goes with your strength. That's that shallow water fishing. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. Is there any, any areas that you'd like to improve upon when it comes to, uh, you know, being a smallmouth angler? There's so many different techniques out there. Is there some techniques that you maybe want to start utilizing more that you can think of? Uh, I want to get better fishing out deep. Um, it's i haven't spent as much time doing it but i definitely think i could improve there and and you know what i've never caught a fish on is an a rig really never and and i've tried it 
you know, I go out in the, especially in the fall time out here when the fish start eating bait fish more than the gobies and, and I've chucked it around for a bit, but I haven't got a bite on yet. So I I do want to catch some fish on that thing. What would be your favorite time of year to target smallmouth? My favorite time of year is definitely like first week of July. It's, uh, it's the best fishing around here for the seasons we have. So maybe my favorite might be May 10th in 2021, but (laughs) in the past, uh, the first week of July is, is it's pretty hard to beat. There's so many fish up on the flats and, you know, they're just finishing up spawning and they hang out up shallow and they uh, sit on, you know, boulders and they sit on weed edges and they're just hanging out feeding just when they start to feed up again after they spawn. It's, it's a ton of fun. You can, you can weigh 30 pounds on Lake Simcoe the first or second week of July. It's, it can be ridiculous. And that's post-spawn fish. That's crazy. Um, Can you imagine what would be in that early season? Wow. Oh, and if we could fish Simcoe, May 10th or the first, definitely 34, 35 pound bags, Jeez. you know, close to it for five. Yeah. Sure. There's some huge fish out there. You can catch, you know, six and a half, six, three quarters, uh, the first week of July. And they're, they're not even that fat. Um, mm-hmm. so I can only imagine what, what one would be feeding up in the spring, getting ready to spawn would weigh. <laughs> like, you know, spending so much time up shallow, uh, I do want to ask you this, as far as spawning fish goes, you know, I, I've, I've encountered spawning, believe it or not. I mean, it was, if it wasn't August 1st, it was right there. Uh, yeah. on Lake Ontario. Have you run into situations like that? I'm just curious, a guy like you that spent so much time up shallow and you look and say July and end of July, have you run across fish that are still on beds that late in the season? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Multiple times. Um, typically a little like a colder spring or I remember a few, maybe two, three years ago, we had a weird spring where it kind of got warm then it got real cold. And, um, a lot of fish I think started to spawn, but then left their beds cause it got so cold and, and we had huge winds and it, you know, it, it blew a bunch of cold water up shallow and, and, uh, it, the, uh, biologists down in Kings university were studying the fish out in Lake Ontario that spring. And they said a bunch of the, the eggs got rotten because the fish left and the, it, it was a really bizarre spring. And that year I saw fish first week of August, uh, you know, not a ton, but you'd see, yeah. you know, one or two or three throughout a day out, out fishing and that's, you'd see them set up beside a bowl. Yeah. yeah it is. So fascinating that, that, that actually, you know, that happens. I've even heard rumors of fish on beds in September. Now I haven't seen it, but I've heard of that before. And that's just I've seen two in september and both of them were on lake erie um on the canadian side and i was out there practicing for a tournament and a hundred percent there was two fish on beds and they're you know not huge like three and a half pounders but they're big big blue clear spot set up beside a boulder and it was labor day weekend so september 2nd or 3rd or whatever it was and they can't explain it you know well I've, i've read about that too it's like a like a false spawn, the water starts to cool, and you know, a couple of them that probably didn't get a dance partner back in the spring. They sure. thought they're thinking maybe, hey, maybe we can go up there and uh, get a, get a date. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So these big fish on Simcoe, you're you're seeing six and a half plus pound fish. What is your what's your biggest personal best smallmouth? I've weighed in a couple, two or three like six sixty six sixty fives. 
in a team tournament, I was fishing with my dad in 2019 out of Kingston, the Thousand Islands Open. I don't know if you guys have heard about that one down there, but it's a big open. They run out of uh, Kingston every year. Didn't happen this year because of COVID, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully next year. Um, we had a, we had a, my dad caught it, but it was a 7.87 pound uh, smallmouth that we weighed in in that. So uh, props to him for catching that. But I was, I was, I had the opportunity to net it. Uh-huh. But, uh, was, that, was that a sight fish? Did you see him? No. Well, actually, sort of. Uh, uh-huh. Not, not when he bit, but uh, that day where we caught it, um you could we were in about 20 feet of water it was calm and sunny like almost too calm weird weirdly calm for out there on lake ontario and you know we're out in the middle of the lake and uh you could see down about 17 18 feet so when he hooked the fish i could see it out in the water column dogging and i could see how you know just how deep it was it was just so grossly from the from the back to the stomach it was just wow. the proportions were just crazy on it. And I, and I, he was on the back deck and he, you know, cast up out, out at a 45 and I could see the fish out there. And I said to dad, I was like, dad, that thing's gigantic. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's getting all excited at the back. And it came up and wallowed at the surface. And that's when he's, he about had a, he, sure. in his own words, he says, I almost stroked out right there. But, right. you know, that's one of them that didn't come unpinned and uh, we got it in the boat. It was, yeah, 787. It's, my old my old man's personal best smallmouth by far. And, um, so what yeah, happens? So you net the fish, right? You guys are in a tournament. Do you have your yeah. ribbon already? Uh, you know, now that you ask, this was this was probably the craziest five minutes of fishing uh-huh. I've ever had in my life. Um, we we pulled up on this little edge and it's a little hump, and there's a little like two three foot drop, a sharper drop on the one side of it, and. Um, we're just about to leave and I wanted to check just that little edge. I had a waypoint on it and I get to it and I mark about eight or 10 fish down there. So I drop a drop shot right below the trolling motor. And I, you know, I I shout to my dad, I'm like, Oh, there's like eight or 10 down there. So he throws one out too, like uh, just off to the side of the boat. And I, uh, I close my bail up and I got a fish on. So I set the hook and it just comes rocketing 20 feet almost right out of the right out of the water jumps about three four feet and i said oh that's a big fish so dad's like oh so he reels in his line and gets the net and he nets that one it was 665 wow that fish and there was at first there was maybe six or eight fish chasing it that you could see and uh you know he nets it and throws his bait down again and he hooks one this one was bigger than the uh than the 665 and it came off. So he got all, you know, he said maybe a couple words that I won't repeat sure. on this podcast. And, and he got, you know, a little ticked off and bombs a cast, you know, 20 yards out the side of the boat, just off where we were sitting. And, uh, you know, I go back and put that fish in the box and, and I, I'm, I'm starting to fizz it. And he said, I got another one. This is the very next cast. Uh-huh. And he gets that one 77. Wow. So in like a matter of, five minutes we had a 665 lost one that i don't know how big it was it was uh-huh. visibly larger than the one i just caught and then the very next cast he caught one that that was 787 we had uh it was a four fish limit and we had 23 i think point five three or something for four uh that day so 
it, that big one went a long way. Thirty pound bag. If you'd have five, then with that yeah. big left, you lost close. Pretty dang close. Yeah, it was a it was a magical day out there. Definitely the the best day we both had for for size and uh, and our best bag. Uh, it was a four fish limit at the time. Uh, they've actually switched that for the Thousand Islands Open just to have a little bit a little bit more fish care and. Sure. A little bit less fish, you know, guys having to worry about as much fish in the live well. Um, so, you know, if it was a five fish limit, I don't know. I don't want to say, but right, I don't know what we would have had. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you bring up a good point. You know, those big fish, when you're fishing offshore, deep, being able to fizz them, and then even live well capacity. I mean, today's bass boats have amazing live wells, but, you know, when you put five, five plus pounds smallmouth in it, there's there's not a whole lot of room. So it makes sense that they're allowing, you know, four fish, you know, being a little bit more conservative when it comes to that. And, and fish care is important. Do you normally fizz your fish immediately when you're in a, in a tournament? Yeah. 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 Pretty well. As soon as they show show signs of uh, barrel trauma, mm-hmm. then I fizz them. And it's important to do that. uh right away you can't let them sit in there for a couple hours on their side it's it stresses them out mm-hmm. you know the best chance uh to release that fish healthy and to be caught again another day is is, is to do that right away if it needs it only normally have to do it maybe out in 17 18 feet and deeper but um if you if you got to do it i definitely recommend uh doing that as soon as possible and also um we're big advocates of using ice in our live wells and a lot of guys up here are catching on to that um, to cool off the water, especially you catch them in, you know, 20, 25, 40 feet. The surface where you're sucking in water to fill up your live wells is way warmer than it is, you know, down 30, 40 feet. And uh, putting some ice in there definitely helps. Sure. How did you do in that event? Uh, I think we ended up fourth, if I remember right. It was a three-day tournament, and we, we were kind of up and down. The first day, we had just about 17 for four, and we said, well, better make some adjustments. And then we uh-huh. went out the second day and, and whacked 23 and a half, and it maybe scared a couple guys at the top, but it wasn't enough the first day with uh, with weighing 17. And then I think we had uh, 20 or 1980 or something for four, The a little bit more of a normal day uh, mm-hmm. for, for about four or five pounders the last day. Sure. I think it, and it, I think it put us in about, I think fourth, fourth or fifth. I think fourth though. Right, it's hard to win these tournaments, man. These guys know what what's up, especially especially in the Great Lakes and places like that, man. If you can if you can win an event, that's uh, that's saying something because there's so much that goes into it when you're targeting these these fish in, in these big bodies of water. So much that has to come together to have that perfect day and everything's got to go perfect with a hundred with a hundred teams out there plus someone's going to have that perfect day so you can't have anything you know go wrong or you know it could be a it can be a nightmare just with with weather alone you know anything all that's so important what advice can you give someone uh talking a little bit more about simcoe if they're thinking about going up there you know during the summer during the prime time what would be the advice to get someone head in the right direction um definitely um if you're gonna go up there i'd say aim for this early in july as you can uh the the later in the summer the tougher the fishing gets you know believe it or not you can you can donut out there in in august like with bad weather like it it can get very tough the fish the fishing 
It's a notoriously tough fishery. If you talk to people up here that fish a lot, but it can be, you know, rewarding if the weather's right and, and, uh, you time it properly. So I'd say, you know, earlier in the summer, you get better weather. There's more fish hanging around shallower. And, uh, I think they're a little easier to catch because they, you know, they've gone all winter without anyone fishing for them. There's, it's been iced over the pressure isn't as good isn't as big as it is a little later in the summer so mm-hmm. i'd say aim for that in terms of timing in terms of where to fish textbook stuff look for flats look for spawning areas there's only a handful of them out there mm-hmm. and that's you know you go you go in there and fish around you're going to run into fish how is it as far as you you mentioned weather i'm sure wind plays a big role on that lake can you hide from the wind at all or is it uh pretty fairly open conditions out there is there islands uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to visualize in my head it's, if i recall it's more like a almost like a round shaped body of water right without That's too right. much areas to get away from the wind no yeah it's it it can be treacherous if it if the wind's really blowing um there's a handful of islands uh maybe five i think five or six uh but it's a big bowl and it's 20 miles across so it's all open water if it's blowing you know you just got to go to the to the lee side of the wind and fish that shore if you're if you're out there on a little windier day but the waves can get you know five six feet pretty easily you know you get a big blow day and it can be tough to navigate and tough to fish so definitely that that's what helps make it such a good fishery you know because it uh, mother nature protects it same with all the great lakes i've always said that all along you know wind wind is the fish's friend out there because you know you get 20 mile per hour winds no one goes fishing right. everyone stays home 20 30 mile an hour and you get you get those quite often down in the great lakes so the the simcoe set up where if you had a strong say east wind or west wind and you had a fish that particular side of the lake can you run into fish all over that um so typically majority of the fish are around there's two main islands thora and georgina they're on the eastern side of the lake so um you'd want to fish mostly there if you get a big west wind it's it's it can fish tough there's not a there's a lot of dead water out there okay um it's 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 deep it's over 100 feet in the middle Mm. uh there's a big bay that goes into one of the cities and it's it's the deepest part you know and that's on the west side of the lake so it, it fishes small for a big lake. It definitely fishes small. And I'd say if, if you got bad weather, I'd say go to one of the, one of the Kortha lakes. It's only, you know, 45 minutes. There's some yeah. opportunities for some other inland lakes in that region. That's that right. Sure. Yeah. All kinds around like 10, 15 minutes from where I am here in cabin. Like I'm close uh, the main city's Peterborough. I'm about 20 minutes from there. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of great uh, smaller lakes around there. If you, if you do, you don't want to come up here and fish in the summer and you got, you got Simcoe on your bucket list and you get a bad weather day. I'd, I'd just go fish, you know, rice Lake or the tri lakes, um, any of those lakes around, there's all kinds of them. Um, but they are, they all fish pretty good. Um, especially cons- you know, compared to some of the U S lakes that time of year, you, you know, you can go weigh 20 pounds, uh, and on any of those lakes in the summer. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like it's awesome fishing up in that zone. I definitely will get there someday. Let me ask you this. If you could throw just, let's say I said, okay, you've got one bait to throw next year and that's all you can throw. Yeah. What would it be? Uh, drop shot. 
Okay, so drop shot's a technique, but what's going to be the bait on that drop shot? Oh, okay, yeah, a little swim bait on a drop shot. A little and swim it, bait. The reason I like it so much is you can you can have it 12 inches off, off the bottom or whatever you make your leader if the fish want that, but you can also fish a drop shot on the bottom. You just, you know, give it a bit of slack, and, and now you're fishing a bait. So the versatility... Um, and the fact, I don't know, I just like, uh, you can, you can even throw a drop shot out with a little swim bait on it and, and do a slow cadence reel back to the boat. And right. now you're fishing a swim bait. Mm -hmm. You can stop it. You can kill it. You can just hold, hover it in a place. Definitely for all those reasons, I'd be picking a drop shot with a little swim bait on it. Wow. Interesting. Definitely. Uh, cool. and you can sight fish with it, mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. So good stuff man I, I learned a lot i'm excited i want to get up to simcoe and, and experience some of this what do you think separates you as far as you know there's a lot of top anglers in the country that that can put smallmouth in the boat on a consistent basis what do you think separates those anglers you know what makes you so successful when it comes to you know being able to catch smallmouth on a, on a regular and consistent basis and do so well in these tournaments i'd say a lot of a lot of time on the water is number one um every chance i i can in the past i'd be going out there fishing you know life's starting to change for me a little bit i got a four week old baby boy now um you know wife family a future, a future fishing partner yeah maybe a little future fishing partner in the making but uh so you know my time commitments won't be the same out out fishing as it used to be but that's that's all part of life and i'm looking forward to the, you know this part of my life too um but that's definitely helped me get to where I am today is, is like the last 10 years spending a ton of time out there learning. And, and I gotta say, uh, you know, I gotta say thanks to my dad, um, without him, I've basically raised fishing. So without that, I, I think that definitely helps too. It does, you, you don't need to have that. If you want to go compete in tournaments, um, you can, there's more than one way to make up for that. If you don't, if you haven't been involved in it your whole life, but, uh, mm -hmm. it definitely, uh, steep in my learning curve uh when i was picking out there yeah it sounds like he's a good stick back in the day did he do some damage yeah i did a little bit of damage but i, I tease him a little bit i uh we pull up to his spots and i say when was the last time you won one uh won a tournament on this spot and he looks at me i go what 1982 or 84 <laughs> right, right. He, starts, he, he starts giving me the gears because every now and then uh, we'll go fish one of his spots he's known for like 30 years or something, you know, crazy like that. And we'll pull up and whack a five pounder and he'll, you know, I could feel him glaring at me from the, you know, I'll be running the trolling motor. He's on the back deck and he's just saying like, yeah, see, I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> right. Right. I really appreciate you coming on the, uh, the podcast with us this week. We learned a whole bunch, a whole ton of stuff. How can people follow you on social media? First off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate a good time. And good conversation and uh yeah my I, ha I have an instagram i i post some fishing stuff some family stuff but it's anyone can follow it if they want to and it's uh just at cal.clemson just my name and i do have a couple companies that help me out and uh garmin and ranger boats mm -hmm. and uh extreme marine the local marine here uh does all the work on my motor and stuff they're great guys there and and even a special shout out i don't I'm not a uh, pro staff or anything, but Shimano, um, they've always been good to, you know, my dad and I, and they treat us well. So I just want to say thanks to them too, Shimano and G Loomis. Uh, they got a little umbrella of companies there. 
Well, this is good stuff, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show. We learned a lot. I'm excited. I hope everybody is. Yeah. I'm get up yeah. to Simcoe as soon as I can, and I'm sure we'll we'll run into yeah. each other uh, this year. What, what's your plans as far as tournaments and things like that for for the season? Uh, well, w- w- I guess we got to see what's going to happen with uh, you know the border and all that. I'd love to go fish, you know, a couple of the Toyota series this year, the Northerns, and I've even. I've circled the Bass Northern Open. They, they're going. They're having one out of Clayton. Yep. So you know, hopefully, fingers crossed. A, a lot of this, you know, 2020 uh, <laughs> pandemic's going to be in the rearview mirror. Hopefully, you know, in the next six months, or you can only hope. And uh, if that's the case, I'll come. Oh, and how could I forget Sturgeon Bay? You know, we really oh, miss yeah. going there this year. So we'll be going there too, if uh, if everything's good to go. I wish you the best of luck. I just want to thank everybody for listening this week. And as always, until next time, we'll see you guys on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.